Chapter 2 Creation, so perfect in form and function, has been spoiled, disfigured, and left in disarray. And each day it faces new dangers and fresh threats. News of conflict and catastrophe come from every corner of the globe, with desperate efforts to limit and repair the damage. There is an ongoing battle between good and evil. Some philosophers have described it as an eternal struggle between light and darkness, a conflict between two eternal opposites, a battle that has always raged and always will. But the evidence before us does not support that idea. We all know that things start well and then go wrong. Life comes before death, health before illness. A happy relationship turns sour. A journey is comfortable until the breakdown or the accident. Good comes before bad. It does not usually happen the other way round. When a leg is broken, the break does not come before the leg. It's our common experience that all good things come to an end. They wear out, break up, fall apart and rot away. A child has perfect eyesight, but gradually this weakens with astigmatism and later with cataracts or glaucoma. A champion athlete develops heart problems, faces cancer or diabetes, and then arthritis, osteoporosis and dementia. From birth, our body clock is running down, and from middle age, our cells no longer renew and replicate so effectively. We cannot see or hear so well, or run so fast, or climb so high. We start to forget names and to confuse times and places. We have seen that everything in the beginning was very good. The Creator did not make some things good and some bad. He did not make things a mixture of good and bad, wrestling for supremacy. But the creation which enjoyed perfect health became diseased. It was straight at first, but then got bent. So how did that come about? As our earliest ancestors explored the paradise around them, where everything was in harmony and at peace, the Bible describes how they were offered something more. It was an enticing addition to the knowledge that they had an addition that might give them a wonderful power of wisdom. They were offered a knowledge of evil. And this proposal was made by a charming intruder trespassing in the garden, an interloper wearing a most attractive disguise. In Hebrew, he is Hasatan, the enemy, and in Greek, Ho Diabolos, the accuser. He first appears in the form of a beautiful shining creature, a lizard or a snake 
in the book of Genesis. Later, he is described as that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. This persuasive visitor offered the woman a knowledge of good and evil, and she shared it with the man. They chose to have this knowledge. It was not the best thing for them. It was not the Creator's will for them, but they chose to have it. And the Lord God responded to their choice by allowing them what they wanted. If their choice was a decisive act, then his allowing it was equally decisive. It was an act of judgment. And like all acts of judgment, it fixed people in the position they had chosen for themselves. From then on, there would be a constant knowledge of both good and evil, so constant that none of us can now escape it. This choice and this judgment together marked a turning point for all creation. We call it the fall. It was devastating to them and to us. From then on, they and their descendants would live in a state of tension, with powers of evil seeking constantly to harm them, and the Lord God working to keep them safe. Some people reading the Bible view the account of the fall as a parable with a meaning rather than a historical event. Jesus and his earliest followers accepted the book of Genesis as a straightforward description of what happened. So we may feel entitled to do the same. But even as a parable, it has a meaning. And in any case, if we did not have this narrative in Scripture, we would have to surmise something of the sort from the evidence on the ground. An exquisite creation has been tragically spoiled. That much is very clear. Our first parents had been warned that tasting the forbidden fruit would cause their death. And from the day they seized a knowledge of evil, they began to die. Every organ in their bodies started to age, to wear out, to stiffen and contract. They became vulnerable to disease and susceptible to damage that could not be repaired. The Lord God said, Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Humanity became subject to death, and we have been dying ever since. A list is recorded of Adam's children and grandchildren, and each is carefully named, noting their offspring and their age, and each ends with the mournful words, and then he died. The physical and mental disintegration of a human being is a shocking thing to happen to men and women made in the image of God, alive on the surface of planet Earth, and fully aware of what is happening to them and it. The body clock began to tick, slowly at first, but later far more quickly. 
none of us can now live much beyond a hundred years. In modern times, the longest recorded human life remains 122. Confirming the Genesis account where the Lord God says, My spirit shall not forever strive with man, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. Illness often reduces this to 80 or 70 or less. Throughout human history, the created world has longed desperately to be set free from its bondage to decay. Every generation suffers catastrophes, epidemics, hurricanes, earthquakes, floods and fires, warfare, hunger, hatred and cruel oppression. The knowledge of good and evil is a crushing burden to us. But can we blame our earliest ancestors for the sorrows that we face? We've only to look at ourselves to know the answer. This generation would make the same choice that they did, and without their excuse of ignorance. Our culture still craves a knowledge of evil. Fascinated with the latest news of wickedness and disaster, entertained by movies depicting violence and conflict. And with that knowledge they must be content, for they will have it as long as this world lasts. At the same time we yearn hopelessly for some way to regain what we have lost. With hair dyes, cosmetic surgery, and gym routines, we strive to recover our vanished youth and beauty. With gardens and parks, nature reserves and delightfully landscaped zoos, we endeavour to re-establish Eden on the scarred and battered face of planet Earth. But nothing can restore the paradise we have squandered. We are crumbling away and will end as dust. Death will finally destroy us all. From the moment our earliest ancestors made that fatal choice, their knowledge of evil rapidly increased. An ugly conflict was now underway. The Bible describes it as an implacable enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent an incessant struggle for the survival of humankind in the face of demonic deception, manipulation and attack. Yet a measure of hope remained. In the depth of their confusion and distress, the Lord God came looking for our first parents. And although a curse fell upon the tempter and upon the physical earth, there was never a curse on them. The love of God embraced them still, and all their descendants with them. The creator of the universe is on our side, but the world around us certainly is not. As it is written, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the evil one. While the allowing of evil was a single act of God in judgment, 
the doing of evil became the purposeful ongoing work of Satan in opposition to all that the Lord our God holds dear. The moment that evil was added to good, new forms of life began to appear on earth. We could infer this from the evidence around us if the Bible did not describe it so clearly. Quite suddenly, many plants and animals became difficult or dangerous, and human beings were altered in distressing ways. Immediately obvious were thistles and thorns. Soon there would be pains in childbirth and new tensions in human relationships. The snake would no longer run on legs, but twist and turn through the dust. Food for an adequate diet would be available only through exhausting toil in weed-infested fields. This clearly marks a second phase in the formation of the natural world, a point at which existing creatures were greatly modified and new species appeared. Animals and humans became vulnerable to aggressive predators, parasites and poisons and unknown physical dangers were now present to threaten the comfort and safety of every living thing. Planet Earth had become an arena for the survival of the fittest. When Jesus faced his wilderness temptations, we read that he was with the wild animals. Wolves, perhaps, and lions, certainly scorpions and snakes. Unlike the gentle and harmless creatures that Adam had named in the garden, these posed a threat and a danger to his life. The Bible tells us that everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. This applies first of all to food, but also has wider implications. Whatever we are thankful for, we will naturally accept as God's gift to us. But if we receive something we would not thank him for, something we do not want, we might well hesitate before attributing it to him. Whatever we find fearsome or repulsive has probably come from a different source, and we can read the nasty character of the designer in the foul things he has framed. The eternal God has indeed created all things, but many such things have become so changed that they inspire not thankfulness, but fear and loathing. Every year a thousand people are killed by crocodiles and fifty thousand by snakes. For those of us living in places where the dangerous animals were all wiped out long ago, it may be hard to appreciate the hazard they are in much of the world and have been throughout human history. Scripture reminds us that there are wild beasts inherently dangerous and harmful to mankind. Irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. We may admire their power or beauty, but they are a mortal danger to our children and ourselves. We are told that the serpent has offspring, 
and here are some of them. God's response to the serpent is not to admire his beauty, but to bruise his head. The battle lines have been drawn and the global conflict is underway. By offering a knowledge of evil, the aim of the enemy was to discredit the Creator and take control of his creation. So far, he has had great success, manipulating genetic code and changing the form and function of many living creatures. He has caused untold misery to humankind, and many have blamed God for it. But the world is not, as some might think, a God-forsaken place. And we read that when the serpent introduced evil to the garden, he was quickly deprived of hands and feet. If there is a meaning to this, it means he is greatly restricted in the evil he can do. One major strategy for overcoming evil is always at work, and we are hardly even aware of it. When a human or animal is infected by a virus, a sophisticated immune system immediately kicks in and starts to isolate and eliminate the intruder. In fact, every living species has a highly effective antivirus program with several different mechanisms. First of all, if the host has previously been infected by the same or a similar virus, there will be antibodies in the bloodstream. These are proteins that can identify alien code or protein and stick to it like glue, so the unwelcome visitor is immobilized and eliminated. If the virus succeeds in sneaking through this first line of defense, a contaminated cell will immediately flag up the infection by displaying the mixed codes of infected protein on the cell surface. Circulating in the bloodstream are minuscule warriors known as T-cells, constantly on the lookout for such distress signals. These release a toxin that pierces the affected cell wall and destroys the corrupting virus and the cell. Some viruses are so clever that they prevent the host cell from showing what's going on inside. So the T-cell warriors pass by without noticing any problem. But there are other immune warriors searching for cells that have hidden their inside information. These will then discharge a toxin that penetrates and destroys the cell along with the virus that has corrupted it. In addition to this, cells that are infected will release small proteins called interferons, which stop the virus replicating within the cell. Nearby cells can sense the activity of interferons and flag up a problem. The T-cell warriors then mass to the spot and start to destroy the corrupted cells. At the same time, a multiplication of healthy cells is triggered in order to regrow the damaged part of the organ. Virus codes can mutate and change and so evade immune defences that can no longer recognise them. But as time passes, cumulative mutations cause the virus to become less effective. 
This is why epidemics do not continue forever, but gradually diminish and disappear. Here in miniature we see the battle between good and evil. Each move of the enemy is countered by a better move from the creator and sustainer of the universe. This is an area of science still in its infancy, yet one that offers strong support to a biblical view of good and evil. In addition to viral infections, we suffer many diseases caused by bacteria. These are single-celled organisms that congregate in vast numbers. Many are beneficial in natural processes such as digestion. Others, however, are extremely dangerous, such as those causing cholera, leprosy, tuberculosis and bubonic plague. Invasive bacteria, like viruses, will trigger a sophisticated system of immune responses that combine to protect the infected human or animal. Intricate mechanisms are activated to destroy the intruders and regrow the damaged tissues. We have seen that ageing processes are now built into living cells so that they eventually cease to operate efficiently. To overcome this, they copy themselves and form younger cells which take over their allotted tasks. But as the genetic code is repeatedly copied, errors sometimes occur, and this is greatly intensified by poisons or heat or radiation in the environment. Such copying errors can be corrected, however. Enzymes in a defective cell are programmed to recognise and repair the corrupted code and so protect the body from genetic deterioration. These remarkable immune systems and healing processes all testify to a creator actively sustaining his creation and defending it against damage. Defence mechanisms were not part of the original creation. In the beginning, when everything was very good, there can have been no harmful viruses or bacteria. But as soon as creation became vulnerable to attack, there was an imperative need for defence. That was the moment when complex immune systems and healing processes were introduced to counteract the invasive and predatory agents now on the loose. But the scenario becomes more complicated. We sometimes see these immune and healing measures hindered and confused by further alien interference, such as autoimmune disorders. To counter this, there are additional recovery processes defending us against such manoeuvres, and the battle goes on ceaselessly. These healing processes can be boosted by a vast array of compounds extracted from plants, fungi and minerals. Effective herbal remedies have been known and used since the earliest days of humankind. And modern medicines all derive from substances and processes that are part of the natural environment. Several burial sites dating from the Stone Age contain remains of medicinal plants used at that time.
Elsewhere, a prehistoric hunter from the Alps carried with him a birch bracket fungus to treat an intestinal parasite. A Spanish Neanderthal with a dental abscess was taking an antibiotic mould containing penicillin and also poplar bark containing the active ingredient of aspirin. These natural remedies are God's gift to humankind. The immune system is also greatly assisted by vaccines, which enable it to identify and quickly eliminate alien genetic code. A thousand years ago, long before the first use of cowpox serum to protect against smallpox in Europe, vaccines were being studied and prescribed in India, China, Africa and Turkey. Vaccines only work because we already have a God-given immune system which responds to them. But there are probably far more natural vaccines and antibiotics than we generally realise. We may be eating them all the time without knowing it. We have all experienced a large measure of divine healing. A flesh wound heals up in a few days. A broken bone knits together. A snapped tendon gently reconnects. We recover from influenza, dysentery and the common cold. In fact, we're so accustomed to this natural healing that we easily take it for granted and fail to marvel. But a torn page does not mend, nor does a punctured tyre or a broken window or even a cut flower. Only the living body of an animal or human has physical healing processes built into it. And many people have seen their normal and natural recovery greatly accelerated through prayer. As we commit our need to our Heavenly Father, invasive elements are restrained and the immune system starts to work with miraculous speed and efficiency, eliminating the virus or parasite far more quickly than medical opinion would lead us to expect. It's remarkable that despite being under constant threat, our health in general is so good. Our knowledge of evil remains, but the love of God ensures that we have a far greater knowledge of good. This is our common human experience. But a number of people have witnessed something far more astonishing, and this we will now investigate. <laughs> 